thankful this morning to be able to stand before you and to endeavor to speak in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, from his from his holy word Amen. which is given to us to enlighten us and instruct us give us hope point us to that uh, upper and better country and that city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God I believe that uh, I appreciate brother David's uh, message this morning and wholeheartedly agree it's it's very difficult to walk not knowing where you're going or how in the world you're going to get there uh, I didn't just show up here by accident any more than anybody else did. Uh, Brother Charles called me and uh, invited me to come here. And so I guess by faith, I, you know, I said, amen, I'll come and, you know, Lord willing. But, but I, I knew where he lived and I knew where I was going. And although I didn't know how to get here, I found out how to get here. And so it made the, made the journey a whole lot better. Now, <laughs> I've been in places probably like you have where you, you had an idea, a reckoning, how to get somewhere and, and, uh, you know, when you got there, you realize, boy, I got the wrong directions. I'm in the middle. I don't even know where I'm at. You know, and then you hopefully call somebody and you get a little help to get corrected and hopefully end up where you're supposed to be. Uh, we feel like that's us a lot of times, that we're just just wandering in the dark. And we just, we don't know, we don't hardly, we don't know where we're going. I mean, you can't tell me today, right now, what tomorrow is going to be. You can't even tell me what this afternoon's going to be. But you're here because you believe that there is a God who, in his providence and faithfulness, is going to watch over and guide and direct. And even if he brings you into trials and tribulations and pain and suffering, uh, he'll also bless you abundantly with joy and happiness and uh, with with the fellowship of Christ in the midst of all of that. Uh, we have such a such an amazing God to worship and and I'm just I'm just thankful I'm in your company this morning. It's been a great encouragement to be here and I, I appreciate wherever I've gone through the years coming into the presence of God's people, another group of God's people, and finding there the same same characteristics pretty much as everywhere else that I've been among our churches. And that is there's a people who believe that there is a God who being sovereign over creation and being sovereign over our salvation and being sovereign over our redemption and sovereign in the promise of our resurrection, that... Our daily grind, as Brother David called it, becomes a whole lot easier when you realize that the big picture is already taken care of. Uh, all the other stuff is little stuff. And while it might be an aggravation, it's like a little child last night at Brother, Brother Charles' house. One of his granddaughters um, either stubbed her toe on a stool leg or it got put on her toe. I don't know which it was, but she let it be known how unpleasant the whole experience was. I suspect by now she's forgotten all about that. Probably 20 minutes after it was over, the pain and the tears and everything's all gone because she was on to other things. That's the way it is with us. The things we think are so painful right this minute fade away so quickly when 
when we're brought into the next thing that the Lord would have us to do. There's a great history of, of the persistence of God's people to find, find fellowship with like-minded men and women in this world. It's one of the most encouraging things to realize that while we know the object of our faith and we know the, the, the idea, the, the, the plan for faith in our lives, that there is something within us that seeks the, the comfort and the encouragement of like-minded men and women. Uh, we, we call that fellowship. When, we, when we're in the midst of it and experience it, it's, it's such a wonderful thing. Uh, there is a passage at the end of the Old Testament. It just, I had to underline it because it just, it just spoke that powerfully to me years ago. This is an old, old Bible, so it's been there a while. But it's in the, in the third chapter of Malachi's prophecy. And probably most of you have heard it or you know it. But it summarizes the case of, of the faithful. Of those who are endeavoring to walk by faith in the world that surrounded them and assaulted them on every hand. It's third chapter and 16th verse. One of those 316 verses. An interesting study. Just go through the Bible and find those 316 verses as they go through and, and see the picture that it gives you of, of God's, God's faithful keeping of his promise. It reads, it reads thus, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and the book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. It may not sound like a whole lot until you realize the context in which this is written and what an encouragement it is to us. Because here is a time in the life of Israel where there are a minority of the population that is manifesting this attribute of faith and faithfulness and the desire for fellowship with each other and with God. And it's all the more important because it looks, it looks Malachi, the book of Malachi, looks so much like the world that we live in. Oddly enough, the timeliness of the Bible is one of those things that speaks to its author and its authorship. That you have an eternal God who has inspired the writing of his word by the pen of temporary men who lived and died in this world. And he's preserved it and written it and presented it in such a way that whichever of his people live at whatever time in history, whether it's past or present or who knows how far into the future, that the same word that was good in the past is good now and it's good in the future. It's timeless. A lot of people complain that, well, the Bible's not relevant to today's world. Yeah, it is. It's just you don't want to listen to what it has to say. Well, those who lived in the time of Malachi, as he prophesied, and you know, God never sent prophets to pat his people on the back, tell them what a good job they were doing, how pleased he was with them. 
He only sent a prophet because people were behaving so badly that they needed to be reminded of what their relationship was and what it was that was their purpose for being here in the world. Let me just give you a little little brief. It's going to be quick. But it's just a very brief description of the world that they, that they lived in, that surrounded them, and why it drove them to seek the fellowship of others who feared God and were endeavoring to keep His commandments. You can follow along if you want to. If not, don't worry about it. We're going to be traveling pretty quick here. In the first chapter... God has a number of indictments that he registers against his people. Verse Chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Where is my fear? How come it is that my own people don't fear me? Then in verse 7, well, verse 6, at the end of verse 6, he, he accuses them of despising his name. Isn't that an awful thing to say about your own people? Would you say that about your own children? That you're my children, but I need to let you know that I can tell you despise my name. I don't know if that meant that they hated his name. Because the word despise doesn't necessarily mean intense hatred. It just means a devaluing, uh, a not respecting something to the level and the degree that it ought to be. So that if you if you find the service of God to be a light thing that you can take or leave or set aside whenever you want, guess what? You despise the service of God because you're not wholly given to it. Well, the Lord says, you've despised my name. He goes on to say, you've offered polluted bread upon mine altar. He furthermore says, you offer the blind for sacrifice. In verse 10, he says, he says this about them. He says, you are so mercenary in your attitude towards my service that you won't even light a fire on the altar unless you get paid for, unless there's a monetary reward for it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he says, uh, verse 12, you profaned my name. Verse 13, you've also said, behold, what a weariness it is. You know, I believe that that entering into the fellowship of the saints should be a refreshing thing. It should be an uplifting thing, encouraging, empowering. That when we come out of having been in a worship service, we ought to be more energized about our relation service to the Lord than we were when we when we went in. And hopefully we're we're energized when we go in. So we ought to be walking on air by the time we come out. But how often do we go home after worship service and collapse in the recliner and sleep half the afternoon because man, we're just worn out. But that's not the weariness. This is this is the attitude of those who get tired just thinking about going to the house of God. Well, you know, I've been working hard all week. It's just, it's just, it's just too much. I was worn out and, and, and church is too long. 
the preacher preaches too long. You're fortunate in this day and age, you only have one preacher to listen to in the morning. Used to be, you'd go to church, there'd be two or three preachers. And every one of them feel like he had to take his hour. And then by the time that was over, guess what? It was another hour and a half, two hours before you could eat anything for, for dinner. So I'm not surprised that we have many times abused God's people by wearing them out. But this is the attitude of those who are given over to the world and they find the service of God just to be a weariness. Chapter 2, he says in verse 8, he says, you've caused many to stumble at the law. What a terrible indictment. Rather than guiding them in the law, instructing them in it, shedding light on it, giving them the meaning and sense of it, you've caused my people to stumble. The very people who are supposed to be teaching are the very people who are causing my people to stumble at my word. Verse 10, you deal treacherously every man against his brother. You can't get along with each other. My word, certainly that could never be said about the church in the modern day, that brethren can't get along with each other. But I'll, I'll pass on from that. Verse 14, and this is an important one. That's why I say this looks like today's world here. He says that uh, God, in, in uh, registering his complaints, he says, he says, because the Lord has been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. I had a problem with knowing how in the world to respect and reverence the marriage relationship. It wasn't one or two or three or four. It was a societal thing. Does that not look like today's world that we, that we live in? Of course it does. He says, verse 17, ye have wearied the Lord with your words. I think that speaks for itself. How in the world had they wearied the Lord with their words? Well, he doesn't leave us to doubt. He says, when you say everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? Do whatever you want to do, because God's not going to judge you. In fact, when you, when you sin more, God gives more grace. You say, well, wait a minute. Now, well, it's only, what, 400 and something years from this to when Paul said, when Paul made it clear, one of the objections that is, was thrown up even in his day against the doctrines of grace was, well, if grace is grace, then we can sin all we want to because God will have more grace on us. God says that that just wears me out to listen to it. Okay, he goes on. And uh, uh, there's a lot more, but but he... He comes down, this chapter 3, verse 13. He says, your words have been stout against me because you have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? You call the proud happy. They that work wickedness are set up. And they that tempt God are, get, are delivered. Well, that's, that, that's the, the context. That's the society around whom is spoken of here in verse 16. If I had to choose this morning, if you had to choose this morning, where would you want to be found? 
You want to be found among those that despise the name of the Lord, despise the service of God, despise one another, despise their own wives, and call themselves blessed and justified in the whole process, or would rather be found in the company of verse 16 than they that feared the Lord. They that feared the Lord spake often one to another. Brother, let me ask you the question here. Why in the world is church fellowship so important? Well, I, I can come to church and hear the preacher and, and believe what he's preaching, and, and that's good enough for me. I'm sorry, brethren, but there's something more that God has in store, that the Lord Jesus Christ has in store for his people than simply having the knowledge of his word. He has given us the church and the church fellowship for the simple and very important reason of giving us a place of refuge and comfort, encouragement and exhortation in the midst of a world that by its very nature is against the things of God. Now, when the world out there, that world had been called to serve God and they weren't. And that was a great that was a great discouragement to all who then found their encouragement in this company of them who feared the Lord. I won't stand much longer, but but I'm I'm thankful to be here this this weekend because I, I believe I'm among a God fearing group of people. I don't know about the little children. I hope they'll grow up to be God-fearing people. But the fact that the adults are here today tells me that they find that there is a need for, for what it is that takes place here. And it is that people in their fear of God, and this is not the, this is not the terror-stricken uh, kind of fear that, that Israel manifested at the foot of of Mount Sinai, when God came down upon there to give them the law and and to and to and to meet His people, and they all, you know, God didn't have to tell them twice, "Don't come up into the mount." He appeared, and immediately their response was to tell Moses, uh, "You go speak with God for us. We'll, we'll retire to our tents because we don't want to be consumed by by His awesome." Uh, the, the terror of the presence of the Lord. That, that's not what the fear of God is that's here. This is that reverence, that holding God, holding God in such high esteem because he's worthy of it. To fear God because he is our creator. He is, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He's our creator. He provides everything we have need of. He is, uh, we, we fear him, we reverence him, we find him awesome because he is our savior and our redeemer. And, and moreover, he is, you know, in kind of the in, in response or in the same line as having that 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 hope, that that seeing that city that has foundations, whose builder maker is God. We, we fear the Lord, reverence him because he is our resurrection out of here one day. He is, why well, he's, he's even the one who attends us in the death of our body. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Just like that. 
He's there as we pass from this life. That which is within us that is born of him that does not die simply passes into his presence in, well, I've never been there. I was going to say in a, in a moment of incredible glory. I haven't been there, but in, in observing people who, who do pass away and who die in faith, uh, it, it, it's a most peaceful moment as the last moment. But, but why, why do we fear God? Why do we fear the Lord and how do we fear him? There, there's too much in there for just a few minutes. But the one thing that characterized the attitude of the saints in Malachi's day was that they were in the world, but they were not of the world. They feared the Lord, and in response to that fear, they spoke often one to another. One of the things that is lost when there is a departing from, from church fellowship one of the things that is lost is the, the opportunity to speak one to another in the fear of the Lord and in the reverence towards God and his people. Do you need encouragement along the way? Of course you do. Your pastor, he's going to try to encourage, instruct, exhort, reprove, rebuke with all long suffering and doctrine. We need that. We need the company, the fellowship of each other. Because we all face the same common trials and tribulations out there. I listen to the prayer request. You know, your list of prayer requests is only different from the list of prayer requests at the church I serve or other churches I visit by the difference in the names that are attached to the various maladies and ailments. And it's the same God, the same Lord who is able to minister to every one of those problems and predicaments that are common to the lives of all of us. But we need to re be reminded that all of our cares are to be rolled off on the Lord, to be cast onto him, because he's got broad shoulders. So some, I, think it was in, I think it was in Brother Charles' house. Last night, I, I'm a nosy person. I, I don't go into closets and the cupboards to see what in the world's in there. But, but I, I look at the pictures and I read the little placards, you know, that people put up. And this one said something to the effect of, you know, give all your worries and cares to the Lord at night because he's going to be up anyway. You know, it, it's, it's kind of that way. 24 hours a day, the Lord is there. So just give it all to him before you go to bed and go to sleep and, and he'll work on it during the night. What a wonderful Lord that is. And he's, he's there while we're sleeping, taking care of everything. We ought to be fearing him in the, in the way of, 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 of a child fearing and reverencing their parents. But this is even better. You know, we have this relationship. It's kind of on, people talk about it being on the horizontal level here on earth. And that's wonderful. But brethren, if that's all we had this morning... We'd be no different than any other social group who just decided to get together because we had some common interests. Now, there's something better, you see, because when we gather together, fearing the Lord and speak uh, and speak often one to another, there's another one present. It does not go unnoticed. 
Trust me, as these God-fearers met together for the purposes that, that they did, the rest of the world didn't care. What was going on all around in their society? They didn't care. They weren't there to encourage them. They weren't there to discourage them. But they didn't care. But there was one who did. Well, the world doesn't take notice. There is one who does. The world's not taking notice of your meeting here this weekend. But there is one who does and has and will continue. And I hope faithfully he will continue to, to, to be present every time you assemble together. It says, they that feared the Lord spake oft one to another, and the Lord hearkened. Somebody's listening to what's going on. Somebody's listening to what's being said. The Lord hearkened and heard it. And this part I like, in a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Uh, you know, it's uh, we think of God never forgetting anything. And that causes some people to not really want to have much to do with God because, well, you know, he's just always sitting there writing down everything I do. Everything I've ever done wrong, God's written it down. He never forgets it. I just want you to understand that this, this concept here of a book of remembrance, I don't know if that's a literal book. I, I'm not going to argue it's a Lamb's book of life or whatever. All I simply know is that we're being instructed here that God doesn't forget. His people meeting, assembling together to speak to each other about the goodness of the Lord in their lives. It was written for a particular people. Again, I, I'm not here to say whether this has to do with eternal things. I really don't think that it does. But I think that it has to go to this, uh, to this sense that you're actually be, being in fellowship with this church body is is a very important thing because that book of remembrance was written for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. We gather here together to worship God because he's worthy of it. He's, I hate to use the word, it doesn't get there, but he's awesome. If God does not inspire awe in us as we, as we just see the majesty and the wonder of, of all that he does, uh, we, need, we need a little bit better eyesight, perhaps, a little deeper sense of perception that we might appreciate that. We, we fear the Lord, but we also find that there's joy in his presence and encouragement and, and exhortation and comfort and consolation all along the way. The Lord does not forget that we're assembling together here this weekend. After lunch, we're going to get together around and, you know, have the Lord's Supper. Observe the Lord's Supper down here on the table. You can see it right there. This doing remembrance of me. When God's people get together to memorialize the death of Christ, God takes notice. The rest of the world's not doing that and doesn't care to do it. But here's a little group of people who oftentimes complain, well, I wish we had more people here. Well, rejoice that you've got as many as you have. 
I know too many churches in the area where I live who just simply aren't there anymore. They were 40 years ago, plenty of churches. 45, I believe back when I was a younger man, there was something close to 45 churches within a 50-mile radius of Atlanta. That's, that's a lot of primitive Baptist churches. There's nowhere near that number now. They're gone. They got zero. There's no people who fear God who are assembling there to speak to each other about the things of the Lord. But he wrote that book for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Just a couple thoughts about thinking upon his name. If what we are doing when we are assembled together is not directed towards us thinking upon his name, there's, there's just something missing that perhaps we need to pray God would correct. Because God's name is important. Oh, I, can't even, I can't even plumb the depths of that one this morning. The, the Old Testament tells us that his name is jealous. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That, that God's name is jealous. Uh, Elder Mike Goins wrote a book not too long ago on the names of God. I think there's, there's something over 50 different names in the Old Testament and the New about God. I mean, you may have three names, you know, your first, middle, and last name. God's got a multitude of names, and every one of them is descriptive of some other aspect of him. His name is Jealous. He, uh, his name is unknown. For a long time, he was known by one name, and then he said, to this point, you have not known me by this name, Jehovah. And going forward, that was his name, which was, which was revered to such an extent that the Jews in their devoutness would not even utter that name. It was the unutterable, unknowable name, something so mysterious that it had to be revered to the greatest extent. He's wonderful. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew one twenty one. Jesus is, well, Mary is with child, and, and, and the, the angel comes and says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name of God is, well, it is well worth being thought upon. We're baptized in his name. Which simply means that in, our, in respect to the church and to the Lord Jesus Christ, the church being the bride of Christ, guess what? We get married unto his name. When my wife was married to me, she took my name. I only think that's appropriate when a man and a woman get married, that they follow the pattern that when... The bride of Christ is assembled when it has that marriage relationship with Jesus. It's going to go by his name. And if that's, if you need something general <laughs> to think about on his name, consider that the apostle tells us to do all that we do in the name of Jesus. Your whole life is bound up in the name of Jesus. How can you... How can you go through the day 
and not think upon his name. If you're a fearer of God, let that be what, what motivates us. Over at the, uh, in the last chapter of, of the Philippian uh, epistle, Paul, in writing to the brethren there, has, has something along this line to say. He, uh, he had been writing to them about, uh, uh, about not being, this is in the fourth chapter, um, about not being careful, be careful for nothing, but in, in all things by prayer and supplication, make your request known unto God. And, uh, and the peace of God, uh, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And then he adds this. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. That is nothing short of mind control. How, how successful are you at controlling your thoughts? Well, I may not be able to control the input. That is, I don't know where thoughts come from sometimes. I Wish I could, so I just unplug where wherever it is that they're they're coming from. But but there's one thing about it: when when the thought comes in, that doesn't mean you have to just keep following and run with that thought to who knows where. You have the power and the ability to cut it off. How? By thinking about something else. And if if the apostle hasn't given us a rather extensive list here of things to think upon, as a way of not being overwhelmed by care as we take our cares to the Lord, then I don't know why this is there anyway. It's there to help us because it's only appropriate and right that those who fear God think upon his name. And in the process of speaking to one another about these things and encouraging one another to continue faithful, even if you don't know where you're going, or what decisions are going to have to be dealt with, or even if you know the decisions that have to be made, you may not know how it is that they're going to come into fulfillment. But whatever it is, you don't need to fret about it and don't need to worry about it. This is not stick your head in the sand stuff. This is get busy and apply the energy you've got to thinking about the right things that will that will bring health to your mind and to your spirit our fellowship is important i i i i am i'm greatly concerned where i live about the condition of churches because every time i go visit another church um i see fewer people and they're not they haven't passed on they're not dead they're somewhere else doing something else because that provides them with more satisfaction than being in the house of the Lord. Uh, I'm not being judgmental. That's just an observation. It's hard for me to comprehend and don't, you know, don't, don't object because I'm a preacher. I don't understand things. I had, I had children, teenagers, and they were involved in all kinds of activities. But on Sunday we were going to be in church. 
Now, did that mean that because I did the right thing, my wife and I did the right thing, that we could guarantee the outcome of it? Not at all. But a lot of a lot of faithful men and women who have done the right thing, and the outcome has not been what they hoped it would be. I, you know, I just have turned it all over to the Lord. But my point is that I can guarantee what the outcome is going to be if you don't commit yourself to serving the Lord as you know you ought to. Your, your fellowship has been wonderful this weekend. Uh, your attention to the preaching has been uh, equally uh, intense, and, and I hope that uh, it's been, been food for your soul. Uh, I, I'm, I'm praying that the, the service this afternoon will be, uh, uh, be attended by, by the one who is the guest of honor, of course, the Lord himself, and that, uh, uh, that you'll continue to prosper in the things of the Lord. Be a city here in this part of the world set on a hill as light cannot be hid. You know, beacon for those who have their face towards Zion and inquiring their way there too. Uh, you know, may the Lord bless you and, and prosper you in your continued service to him and his kingdom is our prayer.